Good morning, everybody. Our scripture reading today is from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober minds so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord. Fault. Our tech team is awesome. My fault. Totally my fault. Good morning. My name is Mike, and I am a consumer. But so are you. Uh, that's just the culture that we live in. That's the American culture. It's highly consumeristic. In fact, our economy is based on consumerism. Uh, economists were writing about this in the 20s, then again in the 50s after World War II when consumerism started taking a big role. And they were basically saying, we need people to buy things all the time. And if they don't, our whole economy is going to collapse. The nation is going to collapse unless we foster co uh, consumerism within the people of the country. So of course, then advertisers, how do you do that? Well, you feed into their desires. You give them desires that you didn't, they didn't even know that they had. You make sure that they want the things that you have to offer them. But at the same time, you have to make sure they're dissatisfied. They can't be too happy. There's always gotta be something missing. There's something else that the consumer needs to get. There's a dissatisfaction that's there. You've always gotta be looking for that next thing. And of course, you know, even in my lifetime, consumerism has changed a lot uh, in America. You just think about how accessible everything is right now. You know, if I want to listen to some music, I've got a streaming service, I can listen to any music in the world any time that I want. I don't have to go to Sam Goody to buy a CD or a cassette. For those of you who are younger than 40, uh, Sam Goody was a place where you bought CDs and cassettes. What's a CD? Yeah, thank you. That's, yeah. There really might be some people in here going, what's a cassette? I don't know. <laughs> uh, and the 8-track. And of course, the rate at which we can get things is outstanding. It's just unbelievable how quickly things can be delivered 
to our homes. Uh, when I was in seminary, I can't remember if it was our third or fourth child, Steph was pregnant with one of them, and I, I was in seminary, and seminary was like an hour away, and she was very close to going into labor, but you know, it might not have happened that day. So we were just like, hey, I've got my phone on me. Uh, as soon as you feel anything, just let me know and I'll drive home. It'll take me an hour, but it's gonna be okay. So I get to school that day. I was gonna be in class all day long and I realized I had forgot to plug my phone in and charge it the night before. Oh man, all right, get on my computer, get on Amazon Prime now, order a charger for my phone, have it delivered within two hours to the seminary, boom, done. You know, in consumerism too, it's also very easy to cancel. If there's anything that you don't like, you just like walk away from it. Oh, they didn't give me good customer service? I don't need to go in there again. Oh, I've got 10 different streaming options. Well, I'll just go on this one for a little while, cancel that, and then I'll go on this one for a little while, cancel that. It's just easy to cancel, and of course, the, the companies are trying to uh, develop some sort of loyalty program or retention program to keep me interested in things, but it is fairly easy to cancel. These are just the, the waters we swim in, right? You know this. This is the life that we live in America. It's a very consumer-driven uh, world and society that we live in. It's not strange to us in any way. It would be very strange to the people who are reading this book uh, 2,000 years ago, as we're going through this series right now called Strangers in a Strange Land, which is going through the book of 1 Peter, which isn't really a book at all. It's a letter. It's a letter written from one of the very first followers of Jesus, um, who became a preeminent leader in the early church. And he's writing to followers of Jesus who are scattered about in Asia Minor, in modern-day Turkey. And likely, these, these Christians, these followers of Jesus, were people who were from Rome, who had been exiled to go live in Roman colonies throughout Asia Minor. So they're living in a strange land. And the reason why Peter is writing to them is because they're in trouble. They're facing challenges because of their faith in Jesus. They're being ostracized in their communities. They're losing the potential for their livelihoods to be able to work in society. And some of them are even facing physical attack because of their faith in Jesus. So Peter is writing to them, encouraging them, be faithful. You are chosen by God. You have good things coming for you. You have an inheritance. It's imperishable. It's waiting for you. Live your life in a distinct way, full of the goodness of Jesus as you suffer these various trials. He's giving this encouragement to them. Now, we don't face those same kinds of circumstances here in America so much, but many people around the world do. And so throughout this series, we've been highlighting the persecuted church around the world, and each week we pray for a different area of the persecuted church. And we're gonna finish the series out by having a prayer and worship night here on the first Sunday of November for the persecuted church. So I want you to mark your calendars for that. It's like November 5th, I think, is that first Sunday. Prayer and worship night here at the church for the persecuted church. All right, 
Let's get into our passage for today. We don't have too much time to cover it, so we're going to try and breeze through it. 1 Peter chapter 4, if you have a Bible or device, please open it up to 1 Peter chapter 4 and follow along as best you can. We're going to be starting here in verse 7. Peter writes, the end of all things is near. The end of the remodel is near. It's coming. I promise you it's coming. <laughs> it's good. Not just the end of the remodel, though. Peter says the end of all things is near. I'm not going to camp on this for too long, but when Peter was writing, he was writing in the last days. And here today, we are in the last days. And the reason why both of those statements is true is because we believe that Jesus is going to come back, but we don't know the day or the hour in which he is going to come back. But when Jesus does come back, he's going to come back quickly. In fact, in Peter's next letter, in 2 Peter, he's going to say the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night. In other words, it's going to be unexpected. You aren't going to be able to anticipate when it happens. So he's writing in the last days, and we are in the last days. And because we're in the last days, Peter is going to say there are four things that readers of his letter ought to do. That, have, that was true then, and it's true for us now. Those four things are to be alert, to love each other, to offer hospitality, and to use our gifts. Now, I'm going to try and touch on all of those, but the one I'm going to focus on the most is to love each other. So let's keep going here. Verse 7. Therefore, because the end is near, be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. Be alert and of sober mind. This is actually a theme that he has in his whole letter. He says it almost the exact same words in chapter one. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. And then he says again in chapter five, be alert. And of sober mind, your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. This idea of, of being sober-minded and, uh, uh, what does he say? How did I forget it already? He says, be alert and of sober mind. That's the, the whole idea here is to be in control of what's happening with yourself and to be of a sound mind. Now this is very different than what these followers of Jesus had come out of. If you look at verse three in chapter four, for you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and detestable idolatry. That's what your life used to look like. Now, have self-control and be of sound mind, not just so that you can act righteous, but for a reason, in order to pray. This is really important for them to be praying. They're in difficult situations. 
they're gonna be tempted to not be faithful to Jesus because of how hard their situation is. They daily need to be turning to God in prayer so they can be aligned with God, with his heart, and then living the life, a life that looks like Jesus' life in the midst of hard circumstances. They need to be praying every day because the pressure is on. Our circumstances are a little more ideal. I mean, we have more resources, more food, more entertainment, more everything than these people ever could have even imagined. They need to pray because the pressure's on. We need to pray because if we don't, we're gonna be lulled to sleep. We're gonna be, uh, our society doesn't want us to be aware of the most important things in life. Our society wants us to be aware of the most frivolous things in life. I'm supposed to be alert about the package that showed up at my house yesterday, and I was, because I got a warning two days before. Your package is gonna show up in two days. And then I got another one. Your package is gonna show up tomorrow. And then I got another one. Your package is out for delivery. And then I got another one. Your package is 10 stops away. Look at it on a map. You can watch it come to your house. But if case, just in case you don't, I'll let you know, your package has been delivered. Here's a picture of your package on your front door. You may go get it now. These are the things that our society says to be alert about. Peter is saying, be alert for prayer. Align your heart with God. These are the last days. Every day is an important day to turn to God, to be alert, to seek him in all that we do. And there's something else really important here. Verse eight, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. This is the focus that Peter has right here. Above all, or before anything else, or most importantly, don't be distracted by other things, don't be consumed by other things, don't let your attention be pulled away. Most importantly, love each other deeply. Why? Because you're all a bunch of jerks and love covers over a multitude of sins. Which is really just a flippant way to say, love other people the way that God loves them. Now there are a lot of different ways that we could talk about God's love, different aspects that we can highlight. Uh, but one that I think is pretty rich and meaningful is to look at the Hebrew word chesed, which is used hundreds of times in the Hebrew Bible to not only describe God's love, but also describe who God is in his character. And chesed is a very rich word. There's a lot of depth of meaning to it. There are aspects of forgiveness in it. There are aspects of generosity to it. Uh, there are aspects of mercy. Mercy is a core uh, meaning for uh, hesed. Um, there's aspects of needing it to be demonstrable love. But most of all, it is a committed love. Or as many scholars have said over the years, it is loyal love. 
a committed, loyal love. This is the kind of love that God showed Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when he chose them to go start a new nation and that even when they didn't do the things that he wanted them to do, he was still committed to them. It's the same kind of committed love that he showed to all of Israel, that even though they turned away from God to idols again and again and again over the decades and the centuries and the millennia, he was still committed to them. This is the kind of love that he also demonstrated with Jesus. That he would go to the farthest reach that he could in order to show his commitment, his loyal love to all of humanity. It's through Jesus that all of our sins are covered. It's with that love. It's by that, it's through Jesus that we actually get to enter into commitment with, jo- uh, with God as well, to enter into his chesed with us. And no matter how big of a jerk I can be, God is still going to be committed to me. That's really important. For me personally, huge discovery in life. In my life, people before Jesus were not always so committed to me. People, there was a a lot of abandonment in life. But you know what? I wasn't committed to people either. I abandoned a lot of people. But not since knowing Jesus. Not in the church. In the church, it's a committed love. It's an attachment to God, a safe attachment to God, knowing he won't abandon us, that allows us to have a safe attachment with other people as well. Peter's writing to uh, these Christians in throughout Asia, and he's saying, you're in difficult circumstances right now. You are facing a really big challenge. And you know what? When the pressure's on, you're probably not gonna be kind to one another. You might hurt each other a little bit. So love each other deeply. Because a committed love is going to get the church through every challenge. A committed love is going to get the church through every challenge. Whether we're talking about challenges that these readers were experiencing almost 2,000 years ago, or if we're talking about the challenges that the American church has to face today, a committed love is going to get us through those challenges. Peter says there are a couple of different ways here that you can demonstrate that chesed love, that committed, loyal love. You can show hospitality and you can use your gifts. It's gotta be a demonstrable love is what he's saying. So let's look at verse nine here. He says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Hospitality uh, is this, uh, inviting people into your inner circle. There are people who are not in your inner circle that you are inviting into your inner circle. And I love that people are, that Peter says here that uh, they're to do it without grumbling because hospitality is hard sometimes, right? It becomes more of an obligation than anything else. 
when Steph and I were in Pakistan a number of years ago, uh, there was this one uh, experience. I don't think you were with us on this one, honey. I think it was just me and one other guy. We were driving way out to this remote village to go visit these Muslims who were, we wanted to witness to them about Jesus. And we were out there all day. It was a long drive, and long drives are not comfortable in a place like Pakistan. And we were on our long drive all the way back, and the guy I was with said, we have to stop at this person's house. He's kind of a prominent person in this area, and it's important that we acknowledge that we're passing by his home and actually stop there. I'm like, okay, it's been a long day. We're gonna gear up for this. And so we pull up onto this property, and we get out, and somebody shows us to like this yurt. And so we sit inside this yurt, and then somebody brings in some tea and some biscuits. And so it's just the two of us there. We're just sitting there, drinking our tea, eating our biscuits. And then some guy comes in, and he's like, oh, hello, hello, yeah, thank you. Thank you for stopping, okay, oh, yes, okay. Oh, have a good day, all right, goodbye. And then we sit there, and we finish our tea and our biscuits. I'm like, what is going on here? My friend, he's like, this is what you have to do. We needed to show up so that we could recognize that we were in his vicinity and acknowledge his presence here. And he had to show us hospitality by giving us tea and biscuits. He didn't have to talk to us. <laughs> he just had to give us some tea and biscuits. Sometimes hospitality, you know, it can be a little bit of an obligation, but that's not this hospitality here that Peter is talking about. For these people, what this means likely is that they have to invite people into their homes to stay because they don't have somewhere else to go. Or they have to give them a meal because they don't have something else to eat. Or it means that they've got to host the church gathering, which surely comes with some sense of risk as well. It is this open-heartedness toward other people to invite them in to your inner circle. Now just back to consumerism for a moment here because when I wrote that the other day, open-hearted hospitality. I was like, oh, I like the sound of that. I think that sounds pretty good. And then I left work and I went to Fred Meyer and I was picking up a couple of groceries for dinner and I was reaching into the refrigerated section and then I hear the advertisement over the speaker in the Fred Meyer. Oh, here we offer you open-hearted hospitality if you buy this and that. <laughs> Just like, oh man. Really, I have been shaped by consumerism. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> no doubt about it at all. That's hospitality. Uh, let's look at using our gifts here. That's the, verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. God has given a variety of gifts to his church, to his people. And some of those things, they come in a moment. Some of them are like enduring gifts that we get to hold on to our entire lives and we just get to have. Some, some of them are miraculous things that happen in our lives and sometimes it's just like the most mundane things where we're just serving with the strength that God provides. Uh, 
Those things that God gives, he gives so that they are given to other people. And I know Peter only mentions a couple here, but they're pretty comprehensive, don't you think? If you're gonna speak or if you're gonna serve, do that as if you're doing it from God, which kind of reminds me of what Paul wrote to the Colossian church. Whatever you do, whether in word, speaking, or deed, serving, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So Peter's saying the same kind of thing. Whatever you do, do it with a recognition that who you are and what you have is a gift, a grace, a gift and a grace from God. And that it's meant to be gifted and graced to other people. Whatever God has given us in who we are and in what we have, He's saying, go share that amongst everybody. You yourself are a gift. You are an example of the grace of God when you take the blessing that he has given you and you go and bless other people with it. Hashtag blessed to be a blessing. Anybody? No. Yeah, it's all right. It's okay. How do we build a bridge here, though, from the reader, the original readers of Peter's letter here, who are under really different circumstances and build a bridge to our own understanding. What does this mean for us if we're not suffering from persecution right now? What does this mean for us? And why does Mike keep talking about consumerism? Because that doesn't seem to connect at all. Here's the connection that I think is there. Peter is writing to this group of churches and saying, and trying to address the biggest challenge that they have right now. You are under pressure. Be faithful under that pressure. Live a life in line with the kingdom of God that is, looks like the life of Jesus. And love each other deeply in the midst of that. That's the challenge that you have. Here in the American church, our challenge isn't being ostracized so much, isn't facing physical persecution so much. A much bigger challenge for us is that we're too American. We're very American. The American church is in its own context of consumeristic America. And so that affects how we relate to church with a des our, our, our desires needing to be fulfilled or a sense of dissatisfaction if things aren't going just the way we want them to or easy to cancel and to walk away from people, or even from the church organization perspective, trying to have good programs in place to keep people engaged. That's the context that we find ourselves in. And I think we need to move from consuming to committing. 
from consumerism to a committed love. And when I say that, I'm not talking about being committed to New Hope as a church. I really want you to hear that. I'm saying be committed to one another. Love each other deeply. Because we are in this context of consumerism and just by default, it affects the way that we operate as a church so that the church becomes a business, you become a customer, and what we offer is the commodity, whether we're talking about the music or the kids' program or the preaching, just the right amount of memes in there, uh, or, <laughs> or anything else that might be considered a commodity within the church. We can't let consumerism define what the church looks like because if that's our primary experience of what the church is like, we have missed out on what is most important. And we have likely missed out on the gospel. We have missed out on seeing Jesus for who he really is. And he's the king, he's the head of the church. We need to move from consuming to committing. And I say that as a full-on consumer. We are all in this together. It's part of the waters that we swim in. And I just confess to you, it's part of how we function as a church sometimes. There's a lot of temptation to kind of make things really nice so that people are attracted to what's happening and are engaged. But that is not what New Hope, that's not the community that this is. I know that this is a community where we are uh, deeply committed to one another and hopefully always moving more in that direction. But we don't always get it right, right? And let's face it, consuming doesn't cover a multitude of sins. <laughs> Committed love covers a multitude of sins, but consuming doesn't. Well, part of that confession even is, uh, then this last week, somebody here at church said to me, when this happens, you make me feel not like a participant, but like a customer right there, because it's true. I can see where that is, and that's not the kind of church that we want to be. How, how often do we talk about participation, right, when we're in this space here, when we think about church and the level of engagement that we want everyone to have, because that's the beauty of what the body of Christ is. But we don't, we don't always get it right. But you know what? We also don't have to manufacture it all the time either. Let me uh, finish with this quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, he says this, Christian community is not an ideal we have to realize, but rather a reality created by God in which we may participate. The more clearly we learn to recognize that the ground and strength and promise of all of our community 
is in Jesus Christ alone, his commitment to us. The more calmly we will learn to think about our community and pray and hope for it. I don't know if you like, grasp the power of that quote right there. The real, Christian community is a reality. It exists because we all have the same Holy Spirit in us. The invitation then is just there to participate in it, to step forward in it, to experience that loving deeply of one another within the church environment. And my commitment here is that we continually become more of that church that is already experienced here so much where we're not looking at fulfilled desires, but we're looking at the flourishing of others. Um, Where we're not uh, easily walking away from anybody, but where we're leaning in, even where there's conflict or disagreement or a multitude of sins. Where we, uh, where we're not focused on dissatisfaction, but we're focused on what is most important looking to Jesus and coming together, caring for one another as we come together to worship Jesus. So the question is that Bonhoeffer leaves us for each one of us, the reality is there. How do we step into it? What are the ways that you experience that deep love within this community? For some of you, 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 maybe you've come, you've never really participated or engaged in anything, and it's a good opportunity to take a step forward. Meet somebody new, uh, just try to get together with someone, show them hospitality, maybe join a group. For others, maybe it is more along the hospitality lines. Like, wow, God has given me so much. I can really bless other people with this. I can invite them in and give them a place and a space where they can be deeply loved. Or maybe it's recognizing some other gift that you have. Oh, God has really done this for me in my life. He's made me in this way, and I think I can benefit others through this. Each one of us has some way that we can experience that loving deeply within this community. The challenge for us all the time, for myself included, is to look beyond the consumerism that we swim in at all times. That's our challenge. The Ameri- uh, the American, that's the American church challenge, but there's a challenge for the rest of the church globally. Right now, all around the world, there are Christians who are suffering because of their faith in very real ways. And so each week throughout this series, we have highlighted uh, one of the top five areas where the most persecution is happening for Christians. And today I'm gonna invite Rick up. Rick is one of our longtime global justice partners through Strong Harvest. Uh, He's here visiting right now and he's gonna be praying for Somalia for us today. Thanks, Rick. Well, let's, let's take a moment here to focus our attention on the people of the country of Somalia in East Africa. Let's think about what does it mean 
to follow Christ in Somalia. Most Somalis believe that to be Somali is to be Muslim, specifically Sunni Muslim. So those who come to faith in Christ are accused of rejecting not only their religion, but also their nationality. Christians from a Muslim background are most vulnerable to persecution. It is said publicly and repeatedly that there is no room for Christianity, Christians, or churches in Somalia. There is a deep desire to eradicate all Christians from the country. As a result, Christians are actively pursued, and when discovered, they are immediately killed rather than imprisoned by the government. Church life is simply not possible in Somalia, so the few believers must meet in secret. But despite the odds, Somalis are more reachable and open than ever before to the gospel. And many have chosen to follow Christ, including some who are willing to reach out to other Somalis at any cost. Please pray with me for the persecuted church in Somalia. Father God, we recognize the dangers that our Somali brothers and sisters face simply for following Christ. Cast your protection over secret believers and those whose faith has been discovered, especially the most vulnerable, the women, children, and the elderly. Heal those who have been harmed physically and emotionally. Comfort those who have lost a family member because of their faith. Intervene in the hearts of extremists to put an end to the violence and restore peace to this region. Move in powerful, supernatural ways to eradicate fear, intimidation, and violence. Make your presence known and unmistakable, turning even the most hardened hearts and minds to the recognition and acceptance of your unfailing love for all of us. In your mercy, Lord, hear our prayers. Amen. <laughs>